The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. In the English language, we have a phrase that says, it sounds better in theory than in practice. Sounds better in theory than in practice. This phrase is employed when you're talking about something that sounds great, but doesn't quite measure up to the expectations when it's attempted in real life. Let me give you a couple examples. All-star games and professional sports. Sounds better in theory than in practice. The theory is, hey, let's get all the best players in the sport together and have them play in one game. The reality, ah, it sounds better in theory than in practice. Because in reality, it's a boring display of non-interested athletes trying their best to not get hurt while playing a meaningless game. Social media. Another great idea in theory, but in practice. See, the theory is, let's create avenues for people to connect with one another, thereby increasing their social skills. The reality is, it sounds better in theory than in practice. The reality is, it becomes a bit of an intense distraction. Oh, actually, just a second. Oh, look at that. Somebody sent me a picture of bunny rabbits dressed up as cowboys. How cute is that? Oh, look, that's what Bill had for breakfast. It's a cool picture. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot where I was for a second there. That's what happens in social media. It becomes an intense distraction so that our social skills in the real world are being destroyed by our social interaction in the virtual world. Well, here's the question of the morning. Is living a life of agape love another example of this? Is living a life of agape love something that sounds good in theory, but in reality, isn't anywhere near being what is advertised. In other words, is agape love as a legitimate lifestyle unlivable in 21st century Vancouver? That's what we're gonna spend the next few moments, our last few moments, in our purest love imaginable series investigating. And we're gonna answer this question by applying the theory of agape love to three of the most challenging issues, three of the most challenging realities that our culture can produce. Politics, abortion, and gay marriage. How does agape love respond to each of these situations? We're gonna get there soon. But I can't assume that everyone within the sound of my voice right now knows what I'm talking about when I'm talking about agape love. So let me do a very, very quick review of the territory that we've traveled so far in this series. Agape is an ancient Greek word. Darren, why are we talking about an ancient Greek word? We're talking about an ancient Greek word because the New Testament portion of the Bible was written originally in ancient Greek. And agape is the ancient Greek word for the purest love imaginable. Agape is the ancient Greek word for unconditional affection. When God is described using only one word in the Bible, the one word the biblical writer used was agape. God is agape, he wrote. When God is described using one word, this is the word he chose. The Bible says God is agape. God is unconditional affection. God is the purest love imaginable. And we learned in this series that agape isn't just what God does. Agape is who God is. Agape is God's essence. Agape is God's nature. 
And then we learn that the Bible goes on to give us an extensive definition of agape love. The Apostle Paul wrote it. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You say, Darren, I don't own a Bible. Well, you're in the right place. If you don't own a Bible, take the copy of the Bible that's in the back of the pew in front of you. Take that home with you today. That is our gift to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 4, it says this. Love, and that word is agape, agape love is patient. Agape love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Agape love does not delight in evil, but agape love rejoices with the truth. Agape love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Agape love never fails. And God is agape. And we learned in this series that agape is like bleach. Agape changes everything that it contacts. Now here's where we learn where it gets even more powerful. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this agape God dwells within you. You see, the foundation of Christianity is this truth, that you and I were created to live in constant relationship with this agape God, to experience his agape, unconditional love constantly. But our sin, our rebellion, rejected God and his love. We turned our backs on God and said, no, we want to live our lives our way. We don't want to have anything to do with you. So we turned our backs on God. And so what did he do? He never turned his back on us. His unconditional affection continued to be poured towards us and upon us. And it was finally and most perfectly revealed through his son, Jesus, who came to earth, took on the form of humanity, and Jesus, God in flesh, offered his life, his unconditional affection to us by paying the wages that our sin brings us. The Bible puts it this way. The wages that sin pays is death. Death meaning separation from God eternally. The wages that sin pays is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Jesus did what none of us could do. He paid our moral debt. He got what our sin deserved. He took the punishment that I and you deserved. He took it upon himself, and he died in our place. But here's the thing. Because he himself was sinless, Sin and death had no hold ultimately over him, so he rose from the dead, and now he says, hey, I am offering you my victory. I'm offering to credit to your account my purity and my perfection. I am willing to forgive you of your sin based on the just act that I have done. I am offering to cleanse you and to clear your slate. And if you accept this gift of his forgiveness, then you are accepting his presence back into your life, his agape love spirit back into your life. By the way, if you have not yet made this decision to accept God's presence and forgiveness into your life, before you leave this auditorium today, you'll be given an opportunity to do that. So get ready. Well, we then learned how agape changes us from within. We learned that agape love, the presence of God, is received via our spirit, It reshapes our will. We learn that it regulates our emotions and it renews our intellect. 
Moment by moment, from the inside out, we are being transformed by the indwelling presence of God's agape love. I mean, that is incredible. That's wonderful. But is that it, we asked last week? I mean, is that everything? Are we simply created to be agape sponges? Are we agape couch potatoes where we just lounge around here on earth absorbing and sponging up the agape love of God? Or is there more to life and more to living for Christ than that? Are we just agape sponges? Not according to Jesus. Quoting two biblical passages, Jesus taught that agape is not just flowing to us, but it is also to flow through us. Jesus said this, quoting from Matthew 22. He said, agape love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, Jesus said. And the second one is like it. Agape love your neighbor as you agape love yourself. Jesus taught that we are to agape love the one within us and we are to love the ones around us. Jesus taught that we're to be rivers, not puddles of agape. And that brings us to today's question. Okay, we have plenty of practical ways to love the one within us, but how do we love the ones around us? Okay, so agape is unconditional affection. That means that agape loves a person no matter who that person is or what that person is doing. I mean, think about that, folks. Think about how radical a statement that is. Agape loves a person no matter who that person is or no matter what that person is doing. Agape is unconditional affection. I can love you and still believe that what you are doing is morally, biblically, ethically, entirely wrong. A man was crossing a bridge one day and he saw another man on the edge about to jump off the bridge. And this guy says, wait, wait, no, 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 don't do it. There's so much to live for. Stop. And the guy says, what is there to live for? He says, well, well listen, are you religious? And, and the guy says, yes, I am. He says, well, what are you? Are you Christian? Are you Muslim? Are you Buddhist? Are you Sikh? Are you Hindu? I'm a Christian. Me too. I'm a Christian too. So, so tell me, are you Orthodox? Are you Protestant? Are you Catholic? Uh, I'm Protestant. Me too. So tell me, what kind of a Protestant are you? Like, are, are, are you uh, uh, Anglican, or, or are you Episcopalian, or are you a Methodist, or are you, are you Foursquare, or are you Pentecostal, are you Mennonite, or are you Lutheran, or are you Alliance, or are you a Baptist? Actually, I'm a Baptist. Me too! So, so tell me, are, are you like Baptist Church of God, Baptist Church of the Lord, Baptist Church of the Messiah, Baptist Church of the Risen One, Baptist Church of the Coming King? I'm Baptist Church of God. Me too! So listen, are you original Baptist Church of God or reformed Baptist Church of God? I'm reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too! Are you reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or are you reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1950? I'm reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation 1915. Go ahead and jump, you heretic scum. That is not agape love in action. No matter who they are, no matter what they believe or what they've done, we are called to agape love others unconditionally. 
Okay, so what does that look like? I mean, does loving everyone mean agreeing with everyone? Does loving everyone mean endorsing everything? Remember the definition we read a moment ago? Part of that definition, verse 6 actually, says agape does not delight in evil, but agape rejoices with the truth. Oh, so we are to love everyone, but not necessarily agree with everything. But how do you do that? How do you thread that needle? Well, that's actually today's big idea, which is going to serve as our guiding principle. Every week at Broadway Church, we do our best to summarize the teaching in one simple statement that we call our big idea. Well, today's big idea provides us with the true north bearing for agape living in the 21st century. Are you ready? Here's today's big idea. Agape loves the people and lives the truth. Agape loves the people and agape lives the truth. See, whenever you're facing a situation, whenever you're facing a tension in life, ask yourself how you can best live both of these callings. Ask yourself, okay, what can I do to love the people and live the truth in this situation? How can I express patience and kindness and humility and forgiveness and maintain my integrity in my pursuit of the truth all at the same time? There is a way, and that way is the way of agape. Agape loves the people, and agape lives the truth. Many years ago, when I was just a little kid in public school, my dad heard that I got in a fight at school, and he heard there were some bullies kind of picking on me. So my dad quietly pulled me aside. I think he didn't want my mom to hear the advice. And he said, Darren, I heard you got in a fight. I said, yeah. He said, and I heard there's some bullies picking on you. I said, yeah. He said, son, here's what you do. Next time bullies pick on you, what you do is, first of all, you pick the biggest bully in the group and you challenge him to a fight. And then, Darren, always get the first punch in. You always get the first punch in. And he said, and I'm telling you to pick the biggest bully because the truth is you're going to have to fight that bully eventually anyway. It might be after you fight a couple of the smaller guys first, eventually you're going to have to fight the big guy. So you might as well fight him first. If you lose to him, well, then you were going to lose anyway eventually. But if you beat him, all the other younger, smaller guys will run away. Today, we're using a version of my dad's philosophy. Of all the issues swirling around us, I picked the bullies. I picked the three toughest issues that I could think of. How we answer these three issues should provide clear guidance for how we can answer all the others in our life. So the first big question is this. How does agape love respond to someone who holds a political view that is radically opposite to your view? Now, we have a bit of a love-hate relationship with government, don't we? I mean, my, my family participated in the points of light thing this past Halloween. I had a kid walk up to me at our home, and he was dressed in this black pinstripe suit with a tie and everything. Trick or treat. And I said, what are you dressed up as? He says, I'm the government. And then he took 42% of my candy, didn't say thanks, and just left. If you want to start a debate in any room at any time, just bring up the topic of politics. 
And then lob the words Trump and Hillary in and just watch the sparks fly. In fact, I read of a recent poll that found 100% of Americans think 50% of Americans have lost their mind. And this isn't just an American thing. As the values of our nation become more and more secular and more and more elastic, the stakes are becoming more and more, or I should say higher and higher with each election. And that means the tension is becoming higher and higher with each election. Do you know what it feels like to listen to someone who is spouting something completely opposite to your political views? It can be a maddening experience to hear someone make claims that you believe are false or make promises that you believe are impossible. So how does agape love respond? Agape loves the people and lives the truth. Okay, but how can I apply that principle to politics? Here's a simple uh, reminder, a simple principle to, to remember and to carry with you. Agape empowers you to protest the policy, yet not detest the person. Agape empowers you to protest the policy and not detest the person. You can march, you can chant, you can shout, you can lobby, you can boycott, you can organize, you can post, you can hand out literature, you can do it all you want. Go at it, knock yourself out. But you need to ensure that you are protesting a policy and not detesting a person. The moment you cross the line from protesting to detesting, you have walked away from agape love. Agape loves the people and lives the truth. How does that apply to the political realm? Agape empowers you to protest the policy and not detest the person. Okay, what about the abortion issue? We live in a country here in Canada where according to the letter of our law, it is completely acceptable to terminate a pregnancy right up until the child has passed through the mother's birth canal. Think about that. We live in a country that has zero protection for life in the womb. How does agape love respond to that? Now you may be here, and sometime in your past, you yourself have had an abortion. You need to know that the agape love of God is flowing to you right now. You also need to know that I'm not talking about you right now. Right now, I'm talking about those who made it their profession and their purpose to take the life of an unborn child. The question we're trying to answer right now is this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, how do you love someone that you believe is killing innocent human beings for a living? Remember last week, we learned of a man named Saul's role in the death of the very first uh, Christ follower. I should say, in the, the first martyring, the first killing of a Christ follower. The first martyr as a Christian was named Stephen. And uh, this group of men surrounded Stephen. They carried him outside the city gates and they surrounded him and they took off their cloaks because they didn't want to get all bloodied and all brain matter all over them. And they surrounded Stephen and they threw rocks at him until his skull was bashed in until he was dead. And the guy who was orchestrating all this, the guy who was guarding all of their cloaks was a man named Saul. 
It was Saul's profession, Saul's job to travel around the region and gather up suspected Christ followers, put them in jail, and have them killed. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that Saul was there approving of Stephen's being killed. And we learn that that Saul is the same man who later became the apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament. Saul turned into Paul after having a dramatic supernatural experience encounter with the resurrected Christ. Saul became Paul, Paul who wrote the definition of agape love that we quoted earlier. And we learned that that definition of agape love says agape love always hopes. Remember, last week we learned. What that means is agape love is future-focused. It always hopes. Agape love is future-focused, not failure-focused. We learned that when Saul was standing there enjoying the death of Stephen, at that very moment, God was agape-loving Saul. Because agape love is future-focused, not failure-focused. Agape love sees people through the eyes of what they could be, not the eyes of just what they presently are. Now, that doesn't mean that God was endorsing Saul's Christian-killing mission. No. God agape loves Saul, not Saul's evil actions. Agape loves the people. Agape lives the truth. So how can we apply this to the abortion issue today? Agape empowers you to hate what's being done, yet not hate the ones doing it. Agape empowers you to hate what's being done, yet not hate the one or the ones doing it. As we taught this past summer in our You Asked For It series, when we discussed specifically the abortion issue, we learned that we should do all that we can to stand up for the sanctity and the value of human life. We should do all that we can to protect the most vulnerable in our society. We learn that we should do all that we can to be a voice for life in a culture of death. But we must do it in a spirit of agape. We must do it in a way that we can protest and not detest. We can hate what's being done, but not hate the ones doing it. As the scriptures teach us in Ephesians chapter 6, we have to remember that our struggle as Christians is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other humans, but against the rulers, authorities, and the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It is so easy to forget that. It is so easy to lose sight of who our enemy truly is. But agape keeps us focused on reality. Agape loves the people and lives the truth. And when it comes to the issue of abortion, agape empowers you to hate what's being done, yet not hate the ones who are doing it. Finally, how does agape love respond to the issue of gay marriage? How does agape love respond when a follower of Christ is invited to a non-Christian gay friends wedding ceremony? Actually, I see that my time is pretty well up, so I guess we're going to have to do this another day. <laughs> Let me begin by acknowledging that there is disagreement among Christ followers on this matter. What do I mean? In his letter to the church in ancient Rome, 
the letter, the book of Romans it's called in scripture, the apostle Paul acknowledged that there are some matters where godly, intelligent Christ followers are going to disagree. Not everything in our life is black and white, clearly good or evil. In Romans chapter 14, Paul refers to such matters, he calls them disputable matters. Look what he says in Romans 14, starting at verse 1. He says, accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. He gives some examples. For example, one man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who doesn't eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. And then Paul goes on to say, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, as we learned this past summer when we talked about the biblical response to the LGBTQ issue, we learned that the issue of same-gender sexual relations is not disputable. That's not what's disputable. Nowhere does the Bible permit such a thing. However, whether or not a Christ follower should attend a wedding ceremony between non-Christian, a non-Christian gay couple could very well be classified as a disputable matter. There are godly, intelligent people on both sides of that question. For example, on one side, there are those who believe that a Christ follower has to attend that wedding. These people believe that anything less than attending would be less than loving. For these people, the matter is simple. Go to the wedding. How does agape love respond to to such an invitation? Agape love shows up, these people say. Agape love attends in the hope of maintaining that friendship. Agape does all that it can to be the presence of Christ in that couple's life. These people would say, hey, listen, if you expect your non-Christian gay friend to attend your baptismal ceremony, why wouldn't you expect your, why wouldn't your non-Christian gay friend expect you to attend their wedding ceremony? Listen, by them attending your baptism, you didn't think that they were endorsing your religious views, did you? Of course not. So why do you think that your attendance at their gay wedding means that you are endorsing their gay marriage views? Now, those on the opposite side of this discussion would disagree with that analogy. Oh, the people on the opposite, who hold the opposite view, they agree that you should do all that you can to maintain the relationship. And they also agree that you should do all that you can to represent the presence of Christ in that couple's life. But where these people differ is, these people would say, oh, there's actually a difference between a wedding and a baptism. That's a false analogy you're creating over here. They would point out that unlike a baptism, according to the biblical worldview, invited guests to a wedding are not merely spectators. Invited guests to a wedding are actually participants. Invited guests to a wedding, according to a biblical worldview, you're called upon to be witnesses. You see it in the invitations, don't you? Mr. and Mrs. Kim and Mr. and Mrs. Lee invite you to witness the union of their children. When you're invited to be a guest at a wedding, you're called upon to be a witness. You're called upon to participate in the blessing of that union. 
That's why it's such an honor to receive a, a, a wedding invitation, these people point out. You're being invited to participate. Your presence is part of your blessing. So, the people on this side of the discussion would say that by attending such a wedding ceremony, they're being asked to bless a union that goes against what Scripture teaches. So, they're feeling the tension. And they say, so what are you to do when you're invited to bless something that you're convinced God does not bless? How does agape love respond to such moments? How do you love the people and live the truth when you don't feel you can attend? Well, let me say this. Whichever side of this discussion you find yourself landing upon, the truth is that agape lives in the tension that exists between loving the people and living the truth. Whichever side of this discussion you find yourself personally landing upon, Agape graciously communicates, I'm saying no to your view, but I'm saying yes to you. I'm saying no to your view, but I'm saying yes to you. What does that mean? It means I don't have to endorse your position on gay marriage in order to agape love you. Agape is unconditional affection. Agape loves people no matter what they're doing or what they're believing. I can say no to your view. I can say no to your position and still say yes to you as a person. I can say no to endorsing the value of your position and still say yes to acknowledging your value as a person. If you come down on the side of the feeling that you just can't in good conscience attend the wedding, how do you respond? How does one communicate this decision in a way that maintains and preserves the relationship, the friendship? Well, let me say this. It's impossible to make an awkward situation not awkward. But I would propose that there are ways to perhaps lessen the awkwardness. And one way would be to address the issue directly. Meaning, don't simply check not attending on the invitation and then leave it at that. No. Go out of your way to make your thinking and your heart clear to your friends. You can make it more personal than I'm about to do it, but I suggest you maybe say something like this. Say, okay, listen. Although you and I share much in common, we do see some things very differently. Yet, in spite of our differences, we still have a love and respect for one another. Because I love and respect you, I would never want to place you in a position of appearing to endorse something that goes against your conscience. I love you too much to do that to you. Now you have continually demonstrated that your love for me is the same. So know that I will continue to love and respect you but you and I have sincerely held views on this matter, and our sincerely held views are in conflict. As a result, I must respectfully decline your very kind invitation. Thank you for the gesture, and thank you for understanding how incredibly difficult this decision has been. It's my sincere hope that our friendship will not only survive this moment, but will continue to grow. You can then continue to have these non-Christian friends in your life, at your home, in your world. 
You continue to love them unconditionally. You continue to seek to represent the presence of Christ in their lives. So, if you hold the opinion that attending the wedding is not an option, such a response, as we just laid out, is one possible way that you can love the people and live the truth. It's one possible way that you can say no to the position and yes to the person. Well, let me conclude. We learned the very first uh, teaching in this series weeks ago now. We learned what the Westminster Catechism says. Do you remember? It says, the chief end of man, the purpose of life on earth, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And remember, we learned that first week that, yeah, to glorify God, I get that. That's easy to ponder that, to worship God. But to enjoy God... I'm not quite so sure I can say that I enjoy God. I I fear God, respect God, but enjoy him? How do we do that? Remember, we created this continuum. We said, where do you find yourself in the enjoyment continuum? Are you at this end where you say, I am scared to death of facing God? Or are you somewhere in the middle, or are you at the other end? God is the closest and most intimate companion in my life. That's the enjoyment continuum. And we said, no matter where you are in that continuum, How you move to the right or stay to the farthest end, number 10, is agape love. When you begin to understand the nature of God, that God is agape, you will begin to enjoy his presence more. When you realize that God unconditionally loves you, that God loves you with the purest love imaginable. You want to know how to move from fear to enjoyment? Agape love. God loves you unconditionally. I I hope that the last few weeks have helped you to do this very thing, to move closer to enjoying God at the highest level. Well, we've come to the end of this series, but it's my hope and prayer that we're just at the beginning of a journey. What do I mean? Here, this is important. We at Broadway would like to invite you into an ongoing conversation about the agape love of God. Would you love the opportunity or be intrigued by the opportunity to sit down with your peers to further discuss the ideas and concepts that we've learned in this series? We are turning this series into a DVD-based curriculum for that very purpose. And we're going to release that curriculum in January of 2018. To get ready for this ongoing conversation during the month of November, we're looking for those who are willing to consider being small group hosts or leaders. I myself am going to either host or lead a group in the area that I live in to discuss this starting in January. If you're willing to host a small group for a few weeks or lead a small group for a few weeks starting in January of 2018, you can contact Dr. McNelson on our staff directly or you can pick up a small group registration card at our information desk in the lobby. Broadway Church, you are loved unconditionally with the purest love imaginable. Broadway Church, Love God unconditionally with the purest love imaginable. Broadway Church, love one another unconditionally with the purest love imaginable. And together, let's discover what our God will do through a Christ-centered community that is rooted and grounded and fueled 
by agape love. Can you imagine? Let's be that community.